The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. That have come to you to pass. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Nelson, I think you hear it. I'm getting some feedback up here. Thank you. I think you got it too. Well, let me just say this from the outstart, is that faith is essential to the Christian life, isn't it? Faith is how we enter the kingdom of God. Faith is how we continue to advance deeper and deeper into the, uh, the growth of God. Faith in God and in his word is how the Christian life works. But what can faith do? This sounds like something you could hear at a TED Talk somewhere, but I want you to apply it biblically. What can faith do? Faith believes the incredible. It sees the invisible. It, it, it attempts the impossible. It, it, makes up, it makes the up look good. It makes the outlook bright. Faith is dead to doubt. It's dumb to disappointment, and it's death to despair. That's faith, biblical faith. But on the other side, you have doubt. There is doubt. And this doubt sees obstacles, but faith sees the way through them. Doubt sees the darkest night, like Jonah in the belly of the whale, as you studied in uh, small group time this morning. But faith sees the coming day. Well, in Jonah's case, it saw the coming up, right? But that's another thing for another time. Doubt fears to stand forward, but faith soars on high. And, and doubt questions everything we believe. But faith says, I believe because God said it so. And this is what the apostles said. Amy, if you want to go a couple slides down for us. The apostles in Luke 17, 5 said to the Lord, increase our church building programs, increase our church program. No, increase our faith. That's what he said to them. He, they said to him. And so Hebrews 11 is going to tell us that by faith, seas were parted. Walls tumbled. Kingdoms were conquered. Wounds were healed. The dead were raised back to life. Mouths of lions were shut. Uh, the edge of the sword was escaped, and the dead were brought back to life. There is nothing more powerful in this world than God using people of faith, living according to his word, and by the Spirit, and by grace. So do you want to have that supernatural power in your life? I pray you do. If you're a Christian, you ought to. I mean, you want there to be something that can't be explained, right? And we're not talking about Simon the magician. You remember that guy, don't you? An ass who saw the apostles healing people and raising them from the dead. And he said, I got to get me some of that. And that's not the kind of faith we're talking about, to please yourself. The faith the Bible talks about is a faith that is unwavering in the promises and character of God. And if you need for God to make a way when there seems to be no way, and Brian, I have that song in my head. He makes, there's a song, he makes a way where there seems to be no way. I don't remember the chorus to that. Tina's up here singing it. You got it. But if you're facing an uncertain future, then you need faith. But what is faith? Is it the Indiana Jones? Have you seen The Last Crusade from 1988 where he steps out at the end of the movie and he does this walk and he kind of does one of these things hoping he'll fall on something and land? No. Is faith just hopeful, wishful thinking? No. Faith is a faith that brings a foundation on the word of God, the character of God, the promises of God, and we build up on that from there. That is biblical faith. So this morning, the big idea is simply this, is that true saving faith trusts the promises purchased by Christ's blood. That's it. Because when you have him as your God, 
Faith is something that comes along with that. Look, the race that God has for you at the very is the very best investment of your life. You can receive the reward someday that your faith has promised. And Hebrews 11 will talk about that. But it comes by faith alone. It's not you. It's not me. It's not the church. It is God working through faith. Faith that Christ has put in you and faith that God has applied by the Spirit to grow out of you. Faith is the engine under the hood that drives our Christian lives. The greater our faith, the greater our power and usefulness for God. But I want to remind you something about these people in Hebrews 11. They were sinners just like you. They were people just like you. Hebrews as they were, they were no different than you and me. But the Bible talks about faith a lot. It says there's a faith that has saved you. The Bible says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that we walk by faith, not by church, what? Sight. You're to pray by faith. You're to have the faith the size of a mustard seed. You're to have a prayer, James 5, 16, offered in faith that will restore the one who is sick. We are to ask in faith as we pray without doubting. We are to worship by faith. Peter said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you see him not now, but you believe in him. We are to live by faith, Galatians 2.20, by faith in the Son of God. Faith is everywhere. So what is it? What is faith? Well, we'll talk about that today. And in classic Darren style, you got three words that make this outline. They all start with the same first lever, letter. And everyone said, oh, not again. But here we go. In Hebrews 11.1, Hebrews 11, we're going to see three truths about faith. I want to start with that first one, as you'll see the primacy of faith, the primacy of faith. Now, you're saying, Darren, where's the, where's the faith alone, the Reformation coming in? We're getting there, but to get there, we have to define what faith is. Faith, again, is primary, the primacy of faith. If you have your Bible with you, I want you just to look back where we ended last week in the book of Hebrews. Look back at chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. I want to restore the context for you. He says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. You remember we said last week that you cannot be a Christian unless you have by faith alone, by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, accepted all that he has given you in his son. And so faith starts first by God giving you that faith. How do you know that? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace you've been saved, but this is not of yourselves. It is a what? It's a gift of God. The fact that you can have faith is a gift of God. Now you say, well, didn't I also accept that? You did. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. They both work out together. Go read the book of Jonah. It's all about that. But he says, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So as the writer of Hebrews opens up the study of faith, he reminds you that all these people who went before, there were two camps. There were those who by faith accepted what God said, and there were those who wanted to dabble in it but never fully accepted it, and they shrunk back. It's kind of like, you know, when you see these people who do these crazy adventure races. Have you seen these people? Like they go out on trails for a week and, and it's like the, the last to survive. It's kind of like Survivor, but they take backpacks and they have to get from point A to point B and a thousand people start, but like five finish or something like that. That's kind of how it feels sometimes in the Christian life because so many people get excited about being saved from their sin and knowing Christ, but it seems only a few actually carry it through until the day they die or Christ calls them home. And that's a scary part. And so he wants to remind them as they start out that it is by faith that you carry on by God's grace. 
So what is faith? Faith is something that is primary. He says there in verse 1, now faith. Do you see how vital this is? Faith is what unlocks your Christian life. So what does it mean? Well, the word faith, pistis in the Greek, is used 242 times in the New Testament alone. 242 times. Must be pretty important, right? In the book of Hebrews, especially here, it's used 24 times in the book of Hebrews 11 alone, chapter 11 alone. One out of 10 times in the whole Bible is found in one chapter by faith. Faith is used 32 times in Hebrews, 24 of those in this chapter, and by faith is used in verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, etc., 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 etc. So faith is primary. Faith is necessary. Faith that God gives to us and he develops in us. But we tend to idolize these people. You know these names, don't you? Noah, David, Abraham, Sarah, Rahab. Noah got drunk. David, well, David did some pretty bad things, didn't he? He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Abraham lied about his wife. Guys, don't do that. That is not good. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Rahab, I don't need to define that one for you. Despite these flaws, though, they were trophies of God's grace. Why? Because when they moved forward in their faith in God, God blessed them, the faith they had. And Amy, if you want to put this up, so what is faith? Faith is living in light of what God has said. Living in light of what God has said. Church, what has God said? Well, he said a lot of things, hadn't he? This book right here tells us pretty much what God has said. It's living in light of what God has said. You know, it's like a kid who uh, will remind you sometimes, because I, I don't always do the best at follow through as a parent. I'll say, hey, we'll go and do this. And then when that time comes and we're ready to do something else, one of them will remind you and say, hey, didn't you say we're going to go do this? And you're met with a quandary, aren't you? What are you going to do? And they're living in light of what you told them. You're going to go do this, but you're ready to go do this. That's not how God works. When God says something by faith, we accept that what he says is sufficient and it's enough to carry us on. So faith is living in light of what God has said. It's also resting in what he has done. This is why when Martin Luther took that nail in 1517 and nailed to the doors that would start the Protestant Reformation, he had no idea what would break forth. But he was trying to break away from a system that said that faith was not enough. That you had to be something and someone and pay people to get out of hell and purgatory. And it's also entrusting your future to his care. If you have ever lost a loved one, and many of you have in this room, we've lost in this church that has so, this church has been led by faith by so many years. We've lost so many folks in the last few years. We're in that chapter of church life. And when we visit with every family, if they knew Christ, we remind them that they are now seeing, not by faith, but by sight, what we see by faith. They are seeing all the promises of God restored and, and their future that was promised to them is now being lived out. What an awesome God. Pastor, do you want me to switch over to handheld? Okay. If God has gifted you, you can trust him. And it is because God has saved you. Faith is trusting what God has said, resting in what he has done, and, and entrusting your future to his care. That's the primacy of faith. Now faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But what are the properties of faith? What does faith look like? Let's drill down into the definition because I don't want you to walk out of here just thinking that this is what it is. And Brother Willie, I put this up because you taught me this a long time ago. This is the three-legged stool of faith, and this is where it comes from. What is faith? 
Faith is something that is trustworthy. Well, what is trustworthy? What is trustworthy is that God said he would do it. God said that I'm going to do something and he's always followed through. That is trustworthy. People aren't always trustworthy, but God always is. If faith were an omelet, here are some words you might describe it with. We don't make a lot of omelets in our house. I like to load it up. I don't know about you, when I go to Subway and they say, do you want more onions and everything? Yeah, I'm paying you for it. Put it on there, please. As much as you can fit on the sandwich. Load it in there. Faith is like an omelet. Here are some of the descriptors you have for that. Faith is commitment. It's trust. It's reliance. Persuasion. Submission. Obedience. Loyalty. Confidence. Assurance. Etc. All these are found in faith. Because a faith that is living, a faith that is biblical, a faith that is spirit-led is not passive, but it's active. That's an easy definition. But I want to give you three descriptors here. Spurgeon called these three the knowledge, belief, and trust. Martin Lloyd-Jones called these awareness, assent, and commitment. I'm going to call them the mind, the emotion, and the will. But all of them are like a three-legged stool. They're all necessary for you to have biblical faith. Now faith. Now faith. First, the mind. There must be some sort of knowledge. Look, you can have faith in a lot of things. You can have faith if you walk out on 435, you won't get smashed by a truck if you just say the right words. Good luck with that one. If you don't have biblical faith, you do not have faith. Faith in what? You need biblical truth. What is the truth? We read that from Romans 5. Thank you, Pastor Nelson. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are sinners. He's a savior. I'm going to hell. He wants to take me to heaven if I trust him. That is the biblical faith. Faith also comes from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ, depending on your translation. Ultimately, it doesn't matter upon our mind except that we know this. We cannot have God in our heart if we don't first have him in our head. Before I can believe, I must believe that very fact. The Heidelberg Catechism calls it a certain knowledge. Calvin said that faith, quote, rests upon a knowledge, not upon pious ignorance. Knowledge is found in the written word of God. Faith is not your feelings. Faith is not your hunches. Faith is not your whims. Faith is not that burning thing you get in your chest. They call that heartburn, by the way. Faith is what you trust. Faith is knowing what God has said about himself, what he said about you. And we get that from the scripture alone. But the Bible also says that there is the faith. Jude 3 says that we are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We are to contend for the apostles' teaching, the prophecies of the Old Testament. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we are to contend for those things. There is an acceptance of the facts that must come through the mind first. There must be facts that you accept. This is why when you get around some people who claim to be Christians and they say some of those facts are negotiable, you should walk out that door. If there are people who come to you and say, it doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead, if the Bible's true or not true, I'm just grateful that God loves me. Well, how do you know who God is if you're not sure what he said about himself? There's some mental assent that has to happen. But there's also an emotion that comes with this. An emotion. That sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Because we're Baptists. We don't get emotional when we sing. We praise the Lord. We don't have any emotion. So we're Baptists. And then our Pentecostal friends, woo, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, buddy. You know, you just get down to it. If you have the right facts in your head about who God is, your body 
your heart, your senses, your feelings, your emotions are going to want to express that. It's what Lloyd-Jones called the scent. It's what Spurgeon called belief. It's not just to know the truth. There must be an ascent of your heart to the truth. Look, you can go and teach all the things you want about what happened in the Reformation years ago, and you can know every fact and detail and story, but just to know the truth is not faith. You must actually believe it. True faith is an acceptance of the Scripture and a confidence what God says. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. All Scripture is inspired by God. But you better believe if you're persuaded by the truth in your head, though you be the only one that believes it, you will have an overflowingness in your life because you want to live it out. There's a joy that comes. There's a peace that comes. There is a joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, and 23. So many people accept the truth of God's word. They take notes. They sit under sermons. They can quote you the facts, but there's never been an acceptance in their heart. And that's why it's not just reading phone books and biblical maps in the back of your Bible. It's a desire, a hunger, and a passion to know what God has said. You know, so many today say that doctrine divides. So many today say that being specific about the mind and, and what we believe divides. That you just need to feel it. You just need to live it out. Why can't we do both? I know that I love my wife. That's a fact. But I also know that I love her so much that I want to hug her and hold her close because I don't know the last day I may spend with her. And you all know that about every family member, whether a child or grown up or whatever. There's a joy that comes out. There's something that comes through. And so friends, I want you to know that passion alone is not sufficient enough. That feelings alone are not enough. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things who can trust it. Just because your heart feels good doesn't mean you're in the truth. Look, look at it this way. James 2, 19, you know that verse, right? James 2, 19 says, you believe in God, what? Good. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. The demons assent to God factually. They know there's a God. They even got the emotion down. They shudder. They're fearful of God. But the one thing they do not have is the third part of faith is the will. The will. It's what Spurgeon calls trust. It's what Lloyd-Jones calls commitment. Faith is a living, real, supernatural faith. Look, you can have all the facts in your head. You can have all the joy in your heart, all the emotions in your heart. But unless you live it out, we know what the Bible says. Faith without works is dead. Do you see how all this comes together? The demons have the facts. They shudder, but they can't live it out because they're opposed to God. They can't follow him. Faith chooses to obey. Faith chooses to step out, reach out, move out, and pursue whatever God has in front of us. The summary is that it's in your mind, it's in your will, and it's in your emotion. We're just through the first two words of Hebrews chapter 11 if you're keeping notes. Now faith is, would you open up your Bible? Don't fall asleep on the Bible open. Keep that open, please. Hebrews chapter 11, would you go down to verse 7? I want to show you this in real life. We did not read this, but I want you to see how Noah has all three of these in his life. Look at verse 7. It says, the writer of Hebrews, by faith, Noah, being warned by God of things not yet seen. Stop right there. Being warned by God. Which part of faith is that? It's the mind. It's the accepting of it. God came to him and said, Noah, here's the facts. Here's the God-given truth, because I'm God, I'm speaking it to you. By faith, Noah, what did Noah accept? Noah accepted that there was going to be a flood. 
Even though water had never rained on the earth, it was just coming up from the ground as it were. Noah had a choice, as illogical as it sounded, accept what God said or go be like everybody else. But notice how he responded in the emotional with, his, with, with, with the facts in his head going to his heart and leading out. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God in events yet unseen, in reverent fear. Do you see that there? He accepted the facts of God, but in reverent fear, in a holy submission to God's character, he said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And then finally, what did he do with that faith? The rest of verse 7 tells you. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. Christian, today, can I just speak to you for a second? If you know this God, you probably know a lot of Bible facts in your head, don't you? You probably know a lot of truths about Scripture. And a lot of times when it comes to living out your faith, it's not that you need more Bible knowledge. Dare I say that? I quoted this on Facebook the other day, and I think it's very true, and I appreciate Brian and team leading out on this, but we often learn more theology, more biblical truth from the songs we sing than the sermons we hear. It doesn't mean the sermons are always bad, maybe, but at the end of the day, you learn what you learn. A lot of times, it's not that you need to know more biblical truth. You should know. You should always want to grow in the grace of knowledge. Don't stop learning about God and who he is and what he's done for you. Don't misunderstand. But a lot of times, our faith is just asking God to take what we know, applying it to our hearts, and giving us the strength and courage to move forward in faith. It is a three-legged stool. You take one of those legs out, what happens? It falls down. You get it, I get it. By faith, by faith, by faith. Look back at verse 1. I want you to see not only the primacy of faith, the properties of faith. Last point here, the powers of faith, the powers of of faith. Look at the end of verse one. We first two ver, first two points, two words. Now faith, faith is what is the assurance of things hoped for. Number one, and the conviction of things not seen. So what does he tell you? What are the powers at work in faith? The King James. If you have a King James, a New King James, you might have had this translated. The faith is the substance of things hoped for. The ESV, the NASB, uh, uh, translates this, the assurance of things hoped for. If you have an NIV, faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's basically two words. The Greek word faith, pistis, uh, is there. And, and it's also, it's, it's hypostatus is really the word, excuse me. There's hypo, which is like a hypodermic needle, goes under the skin. Not to be weird with you. Are, does anyone hate needles like I hate needles here? I, amen. Hypo means you go under. But it also is status, is a standing. There's two types of faith here. Is this word for assurance that you see. Assurance. You see that word there. Hypostatus. That which comes under. We know that faith stands on a firm foundation. What is our firm foundation, guys? Our firm foundation is that God is who he said he was. That what he said he did. What he's going to do is ours. So there is an assurance that comes. And Amy, if you want to put that first point up, please. There is an assurance that comes. You can go ahead with the next. Right there is fine. There is an assurance that comes. There is an assurance that objectively, that when you trust in this God, that you have something underneath you. That no matter what God puts on you, God will hold you up in your faith. That's the assurance that you have. 
There is no trial greater than the strength of your faith because God is the one holding your faith. You know, you've heard that phrase before, and I'm going to tell you again. People say on social media all the time, it's plastered on billboards, God will never give you more than you can handle. And all God's people said that is hogwash. Yes, it is. Guys, he gives you more than you can handle every single day. It's not about you. It's not about me. And, oh, well, Pastor, what about 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that he won't lead you in any temptation beyond that which you can get out of. Okay, that's also true. That's God's word. But God often pours, pours it, puts it on your back so much because it's not about you and your, it's not about us. It's about him. He is able to hold us. Your faith is held by him, Jude 24 and 25. And if you've ever seen a building being built, I remember working downtown before I took this job here when I was doing bivocational youth pastoring. And on my lunch hour, I'd be down at 12th and Grand at the NAIA, and they were building up one of those big uh, uh, light, uh, those big apartments, they're called Light One, I think they're called. You've probably seen a big apartments down there. And I would always park on the very top floor because I wanted to see them build the foundation. I did not realize how deep the foundations of those buildings were. I mean, they are deep. And that foundation had to go so deep down before they could put on what is now the, the levels of all the apartments. And it took months to build that foundation. But your assurance as a Christian is that by faith, God has built you deeply rooted within himself. And when the powers of Satan and the fiery darts come against you, Ephesians 6, and all the wind blows around you and everything is going crazy and haywire, like those buildings that are made to withstand hurricane force winds, you may sway a little bit and you may feel yourself rock back and forth, but you are standing on a firm foundation and ground. More specifically, that Christ died for you and nothing can take that away from you. Look, you didn't create your faith in God. God dug in your soul and went story by story and put in a supernatural faith. And when you grow in God, your life won't topple over because of what he has done for you. That is the concrete, objective, real nature of faith. But for some of us, can I speak to us? And I write myself up here. Some of us like to perform. What I mean by that is, God, I did all these things for you. Therefore, I'm assured I'm part of you. Guys, be very careful. God is not looking for a performance God is not looking for you to, to uh, show him how great of a Christian or faithful you are. God desires that you come to him, as it were, with a childlike faith and say, Lord, whatever you want from me. If your assurance of God working in you is based on what you do for God, you're always gonna be insecure in God because there's never enough you can do, but you remind yourself of what Christ did for you and that he died for you once and for all. But there is also a subjective. Did you see that? What is the subjective part of faith? And this is on the same slide here. There's objective, there's a foundation, but the subjective part of assurance is this, is that there are things hoped for. What are you hoping for? When you die, what are you hoping for? You're hoping that God is gonna hold you forever, that when you die, you don't walk out in some never, never la-la land and have to figure it out like some Robin Williams movie. There was some 80s movie where Robin Williams was on a, a bus and he was talking about angels. Anyone else remember this story? I can never remember the name of the book or name of the story, but he becomes an angel and he gets on buses and he tries to find his way. It was really weird. That's probably why I don't wanna remember it. But he had hoped that he'd get back to earth and he never did. He became an angel and that's a whole weird story. But what are you hoping for? 
Your assurance hopes for things like God's going to go before me. Your assurance is that God is ordering circumstances of my life. Your assurance is that God is opening doors that no man can close and God is closing doors that no man can open. Your assurance of things hoped for by faith is that God's will will prevail in your life. Your assurance is that God has a purpose and plan for you and that he will meet all your riches, all your needs by the riches that are found in his son, Philippians 4.19, in Jesus Christ. And that whatever others mean for evil, God meant for good. When you have faith, your assurance is objective. There is a firm, factual foundation of who God is. But in everyday life, you have a subjective experience because God is absolutely working through that for your good and his glory. The last thing, the power of faith is this, is there is conviction. Look at the end of verse one. There is conviction. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and you might have a comma there or a semicolon, but it's also the conviction of things not seen. You know, there are skeptics out there of Christianity, and Brother Brian brought this up in our Sunday school class, that there, there are atheists who say, well, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Well, there must have been a lot of atheist chiefs and Royals fans for 30 and 50 years before they both won the World Series in the uh, Super Bowl because they didn't see the hardware to back it up, right? It's a joke, by the way, guys. Lighten up. <laughs> but seriously, people say, if I don't see it, I can't believe it. Well... Where do you want to go with that? You don't see the Wi-Fi signal, but you sure trust that your phone's connected to it when you're, you're by the, the router, right? There's a lot of things you can say in life, but here's the point. The conviction here speaks of an inner certainty of the soul. And the depth, and Amy will put this up, the depth of our convictions about God fuels the intensity of our passion for God. That is, is that faith shuts its eyes to all things seen and opens its ears to all things that have been said. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that God hasn't given uh, natural things that prove his existence. Romans 1, say, Romans 1 says that everything has been made plain to us. We're without excuse. Romans 2 says we have the conscience within us and the, the natural revelation of God. But this is not name it and claim it either. It's not, if I don't, if I don't see it, I just speak it into existence, i.e. Joel Osteen and all the faith healers and all those folks. Faith with assurance that brings conviction is a conviction that God is on his throne and will bring to pass all the things that he said will come to pass. And Christian, if you're honest with your faith, and I had to ask myself this question this week, you may have graduated, quote unquote, from that, from your very life. Because there is a time in your Christian life, whether it's been many years or a few months or a few weeks, where you believe God for everything, didn't you? And then you started going to church and you got hurt or someone did something or said something or God didn't answer a prayer in the way you wanted him to and your conviction, your assurance by faith that God was going to work in the situation kind of went down. And then you started adopting the world's philosophy. Unless I see it, Lord, I ain't gonna believe it. Well, if you're a Christian, you are trusting in one you've never seen before, but yet you still sing to him and pray to him, don't you? Faith enables us, if we're assured of it and convicted by it, to go forward even when we don't know how it will go. Church, after church today, we're going to ask you, I might be showing my cards here, we're going to ask you to consider something, to do something that may not be what a lot of you may want the church to go forward with. 
But my prayer after church, if you're able to stay, is that that meeting, it's just info, by the way, we're not voting, but that meeting is done with grace and truth. And if you're visiting with us, can I just give you a little pro tip? Sit in on a church business meeting. How they handle themselves in that meeting speaks volumes about what the church really believes and how they really treat each other. But I am grateful for our church here, 60 years of our church. Our church has been down to nothing and has been up to many. It's been in the middle. It's been without money. It's had money. It's had members. It hasn't had members. It's had trouble. It hasn't had trouble. But by faith, assured in the foundation of God and his word objectively and subjectively and convinced that the more we know this God, no matter what lays in front of us, the church has said here at Tower View and everywhere else where God's word is preached, I don't understand it, but I know God's in it. Let's go forward with it. And that's what we're going to ask you to do in a lot of things in the coming years. Don't just trust us. We pray about it. We talk about it. We, we work through it. But by faith, we go forward in it. And if you're a Christian, that's what you did at the moment of your salvation. You didn't understand all about 57 reasons that Jesus came back from the dead. You didn't understand uh, 27 proofs that the Bible is God's word, all the apologetic stuff. But you knew one thing. I was blind, but now I see. And he filled that gap for you. Your mind accepted it. Your heart exploded with it. And your will jumped out and said, let's go, God. Have you gotten so stodgy, curmudgeon in your faith, Christian? That you're not simply trusting this God like you once did. Has your faith been institutionalized? I pray it hasn't. I would pray today that you remember that God is with us. What does it mean by faith alone when Luther nailed that in there? It means first off that you are saved by faith alone. Amy, we're gonna send the rest out by email. You have notes at the end of your outline. I apologize, I'm just gonna end it where it's at. By faith alone means first that you trust that you are going to heaven, forgiven of your sin, trusting only in what Christ has done by faith, not your works, not your baptism, not your church, not your affiliation, by faith alone. But it also means that for the rest of your life, you are going to trust in a God who may ask you to do things, consider things consistent with his word, but are different than the world. That is what faith alone means. Friends, there are a lot of people today around the world. I'll end with this. I'm just gonna be very specific. When Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door so many years ago, The church at Rome had this one complaint. This is Darren's simple summary. They said, if people believe that they can be saved by faith alone and think for themselves about what the Bible actually says, we are doomed. And all God's people said, amen. Because because of that, by faith, when Martin Luther, who just thought he was having a chat with his other priestly guys, started that revolution, you now have a Bible in your own language You now don't have to be killed for taking the Lord's Supper as we do. You now have the freedom to assemble. There's so many things. But the greatest thing that was unveiled is that just like the ancients of old times, you weren't saved by what you do. You're saved by faith in the one who did it all for you. That is Christ alone. Will you pray with me as we close out today? I invite our worship team up. Father, as we come to you, Father, we thank you that faith is founded upon who you are, what you have said, and the promises you have told us to keep. We thank you, Lord, that it is that three-legged stool and it's always been taught that we accept the facts 
We receive it with our emotions, Lord, that is, in our heart, and that bleeds out to every other part of who we are. But by obedient faith, we show forth the fruit that we have truly been saved. We walk in an assurance, Lord, that is both objective, that you have rooted us so deep that no matter what this world throws at us, we are, we are, we are not going to be swayed. Or even if we are for a season, you will bring us back, as Hebrews 12 will argue. Father, but it's also subjective. We hope for those things that we cannot see. We hope, Lord, not with a wishful hope that eh, it might happen, but with an assured hope that what you said, that you will come back, you have forgiven us, you are our God, you will answer us, you will not leave us in need or want, but you will guide us by your hand into glory. And then we are convinced, we are absolutely convinced of things we cannot see. As we look around this world, consider its plight, as we see your work in our own lives and wonder how have I gotten so far away from just the simple love of Christ, the heart of worship. Father, as we've been convinced of these things, we walk by faith. Lord, I pray today for anyone in this room that has not yet come to that true knowledge of faith, that they are a sinner, Christ is the Savior, and he is the only way to heaven. Thank you, Father, for all the grace that you've given us, only by, through, and in your Son. We love you, we praise you. May you be with our closing song as we finish out today. You are worthy, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.